Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Rinkwide Vancouver. Four, but no more as the Vancouver Canucks snap their four-game losing streak in dramatic fashion, beating the Boston Bruins 3-2 in overtime. So much energy, so much enthusiasm in the building, and hopefully here on Rinkwide 2. Certainly plenty to talk about. Coming your way from our Rinkwide studio in the lower lobby of the Wall Center Hotel. If you're looking for meeting or conference space in downtown Vancouver, consider the Wall Center. From executive retreats to full-size conventions and everything in between, they've got conference and convention space to meet all your needs. And it all starts with an email, sales at wallcenter.com. Jeff Patterson joined on this episode by David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Convo. And Dave, at 2-0 midway through the third period, it didn't look good for the Vancouver Canucks, but credit to them, credit to their top-end players. They've taken some heat here. Uh, This was a win that they had to have. It didn't look like they were going to get it, but uh, looks can be deceiving. And it isn't how you start. It's how you finish. And they finished in style on the power play of all things in overtime. And they beat the big, bad Bruins 3-2. Jeff, I don't want to over-exaggerate. I've been known to do that in my past and in my career. I've been known to do that. But it really did feel like tonight's game was one that, yeah, you said it, the Canucks had to have. But it feels like one that is really going to help them kind of turn the page, right? With all this adversity that they've faced. Hell, they faced adversity in the game. I wrote an instant reaction. They faced adversity within their adversity. And they came out on the other side of it with the win. This really feels like a game that's going to turn the tide for this team. Um, Look, when we have these conversations with players, it's when things are going well, they feel like it'll never go against you. And then when they do go against you, it's going to, it feels like it's never going to go the other way. Well, it went the other way for the Canucks tonight, and that was a huge win for them to get on home ice. Brock Besser with a pair, including the winner, and he needed that. I wrote about this at Canucks Army last week. Was it just a cold stretch, or was it more and reason for concern? And I know he scored in Minnesota when everybody scored in Minnesota the other day, but in terms of chips down, high leverage, we hadn't seen that Brock Besser in his first one that started the comeback That was that quick strike, the snapshot from the slot. That's a goal that he used to score a bunch and a goal that he scored a handful of times prior to Christmas. Obviously, his pace has dropped off, but uh, he couldn't have picked a better time to look like Brock Besser, the sniper. That got the comeback started. Philip Hironik ties it with the goaltender on the bench for an extra attacker, and that was a redemption goal for him because uh, he was wearing the goat horns on the opening goal of the hockey game, uh, the Jesper Boquist goal where he uh, jumped up to try to make a play in the neutral zone, missed, and then got caught flat-footed, and Boquist was able to get to the front of the net, past him, and and open the scoring. So I didn't think that Philip Hironik had had a great game. We saw that he was put on the power play the other day in Seattle, supposed to use that big shot. This wasn't on the power play, but with a man advantage because Thatcher Demko had been pulled for the sixth attacker and Philip Hironik winds up at the point and uh, again give Brock Besser credit doesn't get an assist but this is what he's done so well all season to be that net front presence and so from 2 nothing down to 2-2 uh, and then Connor Garland goes to the net at 2-2 and almost won it in, in regulation time for the Vancouver Canucks a terrific third period they were pushed to their limits 
and they responded. And this is, if they had lost this game two to one, it would have been the old silver linings and people would have been trying to put a spin on it, but they did play well in the third period. That was the effort that people were looking for that they didn't see in Seattle the other night. Yeah, they played well in Denver against Colorado and just lost that hockey game. They played already against Winnipeg last Saturday and lost, uh, but they didn't want to run the losing streak to five, obviously. And so really applied the pressure. I liked a lot of what they did in the third period. I wish they had done some of that earlier in the hockey game, but can't always uh, pick the way games unfold. But they were full value for the two-goal comeback, I thought, just the way that that third period unfolded. Jeff, so often this season, we've seen the Canucks just simply overwhelm teams with their forecheck. And through the first two periods, I I didn't really think the Canucks were doing a bad job of that, but... I give credit to Boston here. Their defensemen were very good at moving the puck out. They were very poised on all of their breakouts as a team, and they were just countering what the Canucks were throwing at them in terms of an overwhelming forecheck. And it was at that point that I was like, oh, it just feels like nothing's going to really go the Canucks way in this game. It feels like they're not going to be able to, you know, not really going to be able to create anything if they can't get in on the forecheck and, and actually have it work out for them. But in the third period overwhelming, I think, isn't a strong enough word for what the Canucks were in the Bruins' end in the third period. They had Boston on their heels the whole time. Look, there was a few moments where I was like, okay, well, the momentum's going to end there. The momentum's going to end there. And it didn't end. It just kept going. It kept going. And then it ended, of course, with two goals there. And then obviously the overtime winner, as you mentioned, from Brock Besser. But you said it, like getting to the middle of the ice, right? And look, that second goal for the Bruins, wasn't pretty. Uh, Ian Cole obviously pushes the guy into the net, Danton Heinen, but it was something the Canucks haven't been doing. Like, if there's one thing the Canucks haven't really been doing as much during this losing streak, it's getting to the middle of the ice and it's crashing the net, especially on the power play, right? And, uh, you know, they do it. They get into the dirty areas of the ice and, of course, they're rewarded for it. So it was really nice to see uh, not only them do the things that it takes to win, as cliche as that sounds, but also to be rewarded with the win as well. I was worried because at 2 nothing, as the third period is starting to slip away from the Vancouver Canucks, and I'm thinking to myself, a two-goal lead for Jeremy Swayman. We saw what happened last year when the Bruins were in town, and Linus Allmark added injury to insult or insult to injury with the empty net goal. And I thought, well, Swayman saw that. He's going to want to do that himself. And that's kind of where my head was at and thought, all right, like it might be entertaining if he takes a shot at the empty net. Uh, but Brock Besser took care of that. Obviously, he wasn't going to try it when it was 2-1, to one, and then the Canucks did have the empty net, but uh, the Bruins barely touched the puck. And so credit to the Vancouver Canucks for getting the job done. Uh, important to remember, too, and this gets totally overlooked, but they started the third period 19 seconds in. Ian Cole trips Brad Marchand. They had to kill a penalty. And we know that, uh, I mean, we'll get to the power play, obviously, but the penalty kill has been taking on water here since the All-Star break as well. And so that was a pivotal part of the first uh, moments of the third period. Just get out of... Uh, The Boston power play, Bruins go 0 for 4 with the man advantage, and ultimately the Canucks do score the 4-on-3 goal. Both teams take a too-many-men penalty. The Canucks, the 11th time it's happened this season, that's way too many. It is uh, tied with Anaheim for the league lead, but ultimately the tables return because the Bruins with a sloppy change in overtime, and they definitely had four skaters on the ice. You could see it in the building. The officials obviously didn't miss it, and so here's this much maligned Canucks power play. I mean, storylines don't get a whole lot richer than that, You've come back two to two. You get it to overtime. You get this power play. And it's funny, too, just the timing of things, because out at UBC on Friday, I asked Rick Tockett about, you know, JT Miller from the left half wall. And he stopped me in my tracks with a great explanation about the way teams defend the Canucks 
conventional power play five on four with a diamond penalty kill. And he says, basically, JT skates right into the guy that's on the side of the diamond. And I understand that. And especially when they have the two righties now, Besser and and Lindholm, you know, it's it's tough to make that play to the inside. Well, subtract a skater from each side. There's no more diamond. Now it's a triangle. And uh, geometry lesson here, uh, JT Miller from the left half wall, Brock Besser parked in front of the net. Absolute perfection. And so at 134 of overtime, Besser gets his second of the night, 33rd of the season. This guy just scores in bunches. It's what he does. He has a four-goal game. He has two hat-tricks. I think this is his sixth two-goal effort. And that's what made the Canucks and made Besser so successful in the first half of the season. He's been quiet, as we mentioned, but uh, welcome back. Uh, making noise in a big way, Brock Besser. And and we'll get to the three stars later here on Rinkwide. But just an absolute mammoth game from JT Miller. I, without trying to go overboard, Dave, given the stakes, given the 2 nothing deficit, I think this is one of the best games JT Miller's ever played in a Vancouver Canuck uniform. 20 minutes and 26 seconds of ice time, sets up all three of the Vancouver goals, four shots himself, eight hits, and goes 13 and six in the faceoff circle. You can't ask for a whole lot more from a guy. I mean, that is a complete night at the office for JT Miller. No kidding, a complete night at the office indeed. And look, you go back to the start of the game where I was pointing out that the forecheck wasn't really working for the Canucks as well. JC Miller's out there throwing the body and as you said, eight hits on the night for him, quite literally dragging this team into the fight. And you know, for all the talk there was about the Seattle game, about how there were too many passengers, not enough guys showing up, when you see one of your leaders going out and doing what JT Miller did tonight, you have no choice but to step up unless you're Ilya Mikheyev, but we'll get to him later at some point, but come uh, on. He started the comeback. He had those two chances uh, six minutes into the third. I think it was a sense right then and there that, okay, he doesn't score, but maybe this team is going to, uh, I kid a little bit. That's uh, a bridge too far for me, Jeff. Oh my goodness, Jeff Patterson throwing Ilya Mikheyev down as the person responsible for the Cucks low comeback key, victory. Low-key, he was the spark plug for the comeback. Honestly, Dave, I didn't love the deployment of the forwards, and I get that Rick Tockett is kind of at his wit's end. I mean, they haven't been scoring much as a group outside of JT Miller, but I mean, I think there were a lot of people that thought Mikheyev ultimately would work his way right out of the lineup, and instead it was Nils Amon who came out, and I have no issues with that, but Mikheyev skating alongside Elias Patterson, who, you know, taking the heat in the market and hasn't been as dynamic as we've seen him at other times this season, and I kind of thought he got away from Ilya Mikheyev and had a little freedom, so I was surprised at that. Obviously, Tockett wanted to stack the middle of the ice and, and have three centers with Lindholm and Miller and Pedersen each on their own line. And so from that standpoint, I understand it, I guess. But uh, when I looked, like when I saw them in warm-up, it, it just it didn't look right to me. And for two periods, uh, they didn't look right. But uh, in the end, it was their best players that stepped up. And we talked about Besser with two, Heronik and and. Well, Miller with three assists, Besser with two goals, Patterson gets an assist, Hughes gets an assist on the overtime winner. Again, flowers where they're due. Like Nikita Zadorov, I thought was all over the ice in this hockey game. Like I think that's a sense of what he can do and what he can be when he's at the top of his game. I mean, he skates well for a big guy, uh, wasn't afraid to jump up in the rush. Uh, was making things happen. Had the big hit early in the hockey game on uh, was it Pasternak, I think. Yep. Yeah, and so uh, the Canucks have difference makers at the top of their lineup. We've seen that. We haven't seen it as much of late, obviously, but 
I, I'm not surprised that that's how the story goes here. To end the streak, it was their best players that ultimately came through in crunch time. You need your best players to come through. And hey, who 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 got called out last time these two teams? teams played Jeff it was the star players it was mm-hmm. uh not by name of course but Rick Tockett pointing out that yeah David Pasternak and Brad Marchand right. both had monster games for the Bruins last time they took down the Canucks and you needed your guys to be like that if you're Rick Tockett and I would I would say tonight they answered the bell and then some uh it, it was a great game for their star players tonight the question I have when it comes to the lineup Jeff is that you don't change a winning lineup especially when the lineup was changed after four straight losses right in yep. theory, you wouldn't. But Rick Tockett did change that lineup kind of midway through the game. We started to see some different line combinations uh, in the third period being deployed there. The one I kind of looked at was, okay, what did we see? We saw Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, and Niels Hoaglander. That yeah. was the loaded up line. Maybe there's a combination where Elias Lindholm goes down and centers the second line with Brock Besser. Uh, Miller and Besser have been pretty inseparable this year, but you've got Miller just going so well right now. I wonder if in an effort to get Pedersen going a little bit and give him somebody that isn't Ilya Mikheyev as a winger, they put him with JT Miller. Like, I, I wonder if this is an option for this team at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think everything's on the table because, uh, I mean, there's still too many guys that aren't contributing with any regularity, I think. And again, winning cures all, but this was another night. And this has been a bit of an issue now. Like, the fourth line is... Mm-hmm. Oh, they, what is it? It's not much of anything, and it doesn't play an awful lot either. And it didn't play, you know, they're down, they're trying to mount a comeback. We know that that fourth line doesn't generate much offense. And so uh, Asterix talked it after the morning skate in Seattle the other day, if he's concerned, and he admitted that he was. And I thought sort of the damning part of his quote there was, you know, to go far in the playoffs, you need a fourth line with an identity, which essentially is saying we don't have a fourth line that has any kind of identity. You take a mono, you put the PDG back in, uh, Sam Lafferty, you know, the only time I really noticed Lafferty was when he got smoked by Charlie McAvoy late in the first period, and that led to Tyler Myers with a <laughs> slash. And that was part of the storyline, too. Again, it gets covered by the victory, but, I mean, how many games now have we heard Rick Tockett lamenting the number of stick fouls and the just unnecessary penalties? And I get Tyler Myers is trying to respond after Lafferty gets steamrolled, but referees standing right there, and even if you didn't think it was a hard chop— Uh, It's Tyler Myers putting a stick on Charlie McAvoy in plain view of the officials. Archdeep Baines holding the stick in the offensive zone. Like, that was completely unnecessary early in the hockey game. The trip by Cole on Marchand, it happens, right? But it's still, it's a stick foul that uh, put the Canucks in a precarious spot at 2-0, and they were able to kill that off. So, ultimately, the Canuck penalty killers did come through. Went 4-for-4 on the night, and so uh, credit to those guys in that part of the game. And that's where some of the fourth liners do contribute, um, but is that enough for some of these guys to you know stay in the lineup on a nightly basis? Is that an area as we work our way closer to that March 8th thread, trade deadline? There's always talk about depth defenders, another scorer, but I do wonder if they're going to alter the composition of their fourth line because they get next to nothing right now and have for a while uh, from that fourth line. And, and look at the Bruins. The first two, the two goals they scored tonight, Boquist and Heinen, that's their third and their fourth lines. Like Pasternak doesn't score. Marshawn doesn't score. McAvoy doesn't take over the hockey game. But at 2 nothing, the Bruins' third and fourth lines had generated a couple of goals. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you look at the trade deadline, I, that's the thing I have started to come to terms with a little bit more is that, okay, well... Elias Lindholm was supposed to make everything better, and he has. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that you know th- it's a problem with Elias Lindholm, 
I'm just saying that Niels Hoaglander moving up to the top six is really what did the fourth line in, right? Like yep. Niels Hoaglander's yep. become an impact player in the top six. Great news for Niels Hoaglander. Also great news for the Canuck. It's it's not a full John Tortorella quote, but not great news for the Canucks fourth line who now look completely lost out there and need some sort of spark plug. And you just think like, you know, you think of all the names on the market and I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and speculate who it could be, but like a Sammy Blay would probably be an upgrade on the fourth line. You know, helped, what, what the hell's Tyler Mott up to these days? I threw his <laughs> name out last week. You know, it, it feels like a few guys out there that could be, you know, picked up for rather low prices would be an upgrade on what the Canucks have on the fourth line right now. And again, your depth matters. Your depth matters in the playoffs a lot. And I I honestly, I suspect that that's going to be an area that the Canucks kind of address is going out to get another bottom six winger. Because look, we've seen what happens when Dakota Joshua goes down. If you lose two bottom six wingers, like obviously Joshua's likely the Canucks most important bottom six winger. Um, But, you know, you, you lose two of them, that's going to start to hurt you. What do you make of Thatcher Demko's night? You know, he had lost three in a row for the first time all season and gets out of the first period scoreless. The Bruins outshoot the Canucks 10 to 9. Had a couple of power plays there. Second period, obviously, he gives up the two. Certainly no issues on the Boquist one. And then the Heinen goal, like, that's unlucky. I don't think there's much that Thatcher Demko can do there. If the Canucks had challenged, that puck crossed the line. Like, I don't think that was a challenge that they were going to win. But when the chips were down, Pavel Zaka had that chance midway through the third period all alone in a pretty good shooting position, and Thatcher Demko was there to stare him down. I thought that was his best save of the night, and in hindsight, now that we know the way that the game unfolded and the Canucks win, I mean, that was a save they had to have, and Thatcher Demko delivered in that moment. So, all things considered, he wasn't the busier of the two goaltenders. Uh, Canucks outshoot the Bruins 15-5 in the third. They score on their only shot of overtime. 37-22 are the shots on the night. So, relatively low workload for Thatcher Demko, but uh, was called upon to make some saves. Absolutely he was. And and Jeff, you said it best. That was the save that they needed, right? Like they needed that save. And when you have the momentum and the pressure that the Canucks had and you haven't yet scored, which I believe by the time the Zaka won, I know obviously they didn't have two, but I don't even think they had one at that point. When no, no, Zaka it was two nothing. That yeah, that would have been lights out. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the momentum killing goal that can that can break a team's back, right? Like that could have been it right there. Uh, Demko, I thought was good all night long, but that save, like you said, that was the one I literally have in my notes, just highlighted, underlined three times is <laughs> Demko making that save on Pavel Zaka. Look, JT Miller's going to be our first star, I'm sure, but I think there's a case to be made for Thatcher Demko in the Canucks comeback effort as oh, well. Oh, spoiler alert. We bring Quadrelli in, and he's starting to move the three stars <laughs> into different segments on the podcast. Uh, yes, I, I think it's fair to say that JT will be right up there near the top of the three stars. He certainly was the first star in the building, so a little foreshadowing there. We'll get to our three stars. We'll get some locker room reaction. A staff that stands out for you. Always look forward to hearing what the people, the listeners have to say. And one of the great things that we're we're starting to see some input from new voices on social media. And again, I just think that that is an indication of the interest level that's picking up. Casual people are getting back on board. The bandwagon is filling up. This was game number 60 for the Vancouver Canucks. 60 down, 22 until the real fun begins. And that is playoff hockey. And this one had that playoff feel. I mean, obviously it's the Bruins and there's the big buildup and then a bit of a letdown after a scoreless first period uh, and then to go down 2 nothing. But man, as the Canucks mounted that comeback in the third, that building was jumping and obviously when Brock Besser scores, 
uh, the place went off. And so uh, for me, I, I mark these moments and I just think like, all right, this was game 60 and there was this energy in the building. Cannot wait for playoff hockey to return to Rogers Arena. And we're not that far. I mean, there's still basically a quarter of the season to go. And we got to mention at least the return of the Green Men. Oh, yeah. Yes. Who yes. got the big like WWE walk-in uh, Al Murdoch in on it with the announcement as they came <laughs> down the stairs. Uh, and pretty good timing because James Van Riemsdyk was in the penalty box, so they got to do their shtick. But it is kind of funny on the night that the Green Men come back, and of course they do their work right there beside the, the visiting penalty box, there was only one Bruin in the penalty box for the duration of regulation time. And then they had to put a guy in the box because they took the too many men on the ice penalty and it didn't last long. And the Canucks put the hammer down and win. Are you a Green Guy fan? Oh, come on. Who is Jeff? You have to remember, I was like 10, 10 years old when the green men were like coming out, right? That, that, that's a, that's right a part in your of my wheelhouse. Childhood. That's right. right. Your... There's nostalgia there for me. Right. And my goodness, I put I put it out on Twitter as well, but I need to say it on rink wide as well. Credit to the Canucks in-game entertainment team for coming up with the, you know, yeah. the stone cold Steve Austin entrance music as they walked down and Perfect, perfect timing, because I assume that was just going to happen during the first TV timeout, no matter what was happening. But perfect timing that that happened with James Van Riemsdyk in the box. And I think everybody saw it on the broadcast as well. Uh, you know, he's he's struggling not to laugh or at least uh, smile a little bit there because that was that was phenomenal theater by the game entertainment staff. And yeah, it's nice to have the green men back and you hope, Hey, with, with the Canucks going back to the playoffs, you just said it playoff hockey. You hope that those guys will be back too, because what a game for them to make their return on. Well, you mentioned theater, great drama Canucks with their 38th win of the year, 38, 16 and six. So they're up to 82 points. They pick up a point on the Vegas golden Knights who lost in a shootout in Ottawa. As we record this, the battle of Alberta is underway and the Oilers in some trouble there. So if that holds, uh, that'll be a good night on the out-of-town scoreboard for the Vancouver Canucks uh, at the top of the Pacific Division with the win over the Bruins. The Canucks back on top of the overall standings in the National Hockey League. This was a fight for first place. The Canucks get their two points and the Boston Bruins who go to overtime because they always go to overtime. They've been OT on the first three games of this road trip, both games in Alberta. Uh, they win in Edmonton, they lose in Calgary, they lose here in Vancouver. They've been to overtime in eight of their last nine road games. So uh, they know how to keep it close. They know how to manage their losses and get something out of these hockey games. But they won't be happy about going to overtime with a 2 nothing lead and seven minutes remaining. Uh, it vanishes. The Vancouver Canucks win for the 20th time on home ice. The Canucks are now 25-2. and And lots of home cooking. That's the other thing. Go 0 for 3 on the road trip, four-game losing streak. But they have the bulk of their travel and certainly to other time zones out of the way now. The schedule, while the opponents and the quality of opponents remains high, the schedule on the home road balance, like it works in the Canucks' favor. And so to kick off a three-game homestand here with the win, get back on track, we'll see if they can build off it. But the Vancouver Canucks have won 20 of their 27 games in front of the home crowd, the paying customers. So, uh yeah, a good night for the Vancouver Canucks as they pull one out of the fire and beat the Boston Bruins by a score of 3-2. to two. It is rink-wide Vancouver, lots still ahead, and we will carry on Jeff and Dave with you here after this thriller from the Vancouver Canucks beating the Boston Bruins in overtime. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're all still buzzing about a 3-2 Canucks overtime victory against the Boston Bruins. Brock Besser gets the winner as second of the night. He's up to 33 on the season now. And so, you know, the thing with... Brock Dave, and we've talked about this before, like he scores in bunches that when he got to 30 and he was stuck on 30 for a while, and you're thinking like, come on, you've done so much this year, like you got to get to 40. Well, he has nights like this and all of a sudden he goes from 31 to 33 and with 22 games remaining, as long as he stays healthy, got to think that he'll get to 40, which would be an incredible accomplishment for a guy that had never been to 30 before in his National Hockey League career. But it's just that his ability to score in bunches uh, certainly keeps 40 uh, well within his uh, striking distance. Oh, absolutely. It's it's right there. It's right there for the taking. He's going to play Pittsburgh. Unfortunately, Matt Murray's not going to be in net, (laughs) but he does play Pittsburgh this week. So hopefully it can be a little bit of a streak here for Brock Bester. And of course, Cox are going to be hoping a lot of those scoring bunches come in the playoffs uh, when all is said and done here. I think his first career hat trick, if I'm not mistaken, uh, his first might have been against Pittsburgh. He also had one against Los Angeles and the Kings are in uh, later in the week. I remember him scoring a hat-trick in Los Angeles, a game that I was at. So uh, he's got a history, scored a lot of goals against a lot of teams in the National Hockey League. And it was nice to see him rewarded for his work here against the Boston Bruins. All right, let's get into the locker room. You're going to hear from JT Miller in a sec, uh, the head coach as well. But first things first, got to tell you that all of the post-game audio here on Rink-Wide Vancouver is a presentation of our good friends, at Mr. Lube, uh, 100% Canadian, pioneer of the no-appointment oil change, warranty-approved oil changes as well, and now they're providing tire service and sales, and there's no appointment needed for that. So 16 locations in the Lower Mainland to find the one nearest you, go to mrlube.com. Rick Tockett probably aged a little bit through the first 40 <laughs> minutes of this hockey game, but uh, as we said, it's not how you start it, it's how you finish, and uh, he certainly liked the resolve of his hockey club in this one. It was a hell of an effort. I mean, you know, kind of went after the guys the last couple of days. Um, and to be honest, all year they've uh, been a resilient group, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously Millsy willed, our, willed the, the game. His third period was incredible. But, uh, you know, I liked, the, I liked our resolve. Even if it was 2-0, our bench was pretty calm. I, I mean, in a sense that we weren't panicking. I like that. We weren't all in. You know, if they score the next goal, maybe it's over. So I, I liked the bench the way they were. I didn't, I didn't, Honestly, I didn't do much tonight. They, the, those guys did a hell of a job. Interesting to hear the coach right off the hop there say, like, acknowledge that he had gone after his team a little bit here of late. And we know, uh, and I was there in Seattle, like, he was visibly shaken. He was just... Like, 
you could feel sort of the energy of how frustrated he was after losing to the Kraken the other night. So uh, this was towards the other end of the spectrum as his team stuck with it. Uh, he liked the bench, he said, and the sort of the attitude of this group just to to hang in there and keep doing what they were doing as they were chipping away in that third period. So a uh, couple of days later and uh, a different tone, obviously, from the head coach. And how could he not have a different <laughs> tone from him on that one? Yeah. Come on. Like, it's it was a totally different game. It was a totally different performance from this team. And like I said at the start, I don't want to overreact, Jeff, and I don't want to <laughs> exaggerate too much. But it does feel like a turning point for this team that's faced adversity for the first time this season. It feels like a turning point. Like, I don't know. The way I looked at it, this was going to be a loss. I'll be honest with you. I was thinking this was going to be their fifth straight loss. But then two days off, they were finally going to get some rest and then they were going to come back. And then I thought Tuesday was going to be that turning point. I think the turning points just come a game early. We'll find out, I suppose, uh, when Sid and the Penguins come through here on Tuesday. But it's funny, you mentioned two days off. Like, and they'll practice, but two days between games now, something that they just haven't had that luxury of with that stretch. I mean, we talked after the Seattle game, that was 10 in 17 nights, so this was 11 in 19. They have been a busy, busy hockey club, but the schedule, again, will start to work in their favor just in terms of the amount of games. And, you know, the teams that are trying to catch them, they've got games in hand, but time is running out on the regular season. And so they've got the compressed schedule now. Like the Oilers have all those games in hand that may or may not work in their favor because they've got a lot of hockey left uh, over the final couple of months here of the regular season. All right. So you heard from the coach. Let's hear from JT Miller because he was uh, in beast mode, certainly in this hockey game, three assists. And uh, we mentioned all of the other individual stats. He was just in it, uh, dragging this group along and Ultimately, uh, they all bought in and were pulling on that rope in the right direction. JT Miller liked what he saw from his team. Even when they were down, he still saw a lot of positives that ultimately led to them pulling this one out of the fire. I, I think that's the main thing is uh, we felt good going into the third. I mean, it was not a not a rollover type of team. I think we're trying to get, find that identity that it's really hard to finish games out this time of year and moving forward. Our schedule doesn't get any easier. And if we want to play when we're supposed to be playing, or when we want to be playing, it's going to get hard. And we've been trying to talk about embracing the hardness. And whether we won or lost tonight, I thought that we just played an, an awesome 60 minutes. And sometimes they're going to go in and sometimes they're not. And their goalie was unreal today. So I just thought it was a hell of a hockey game and you know, showed a lot of balls for our group today. Well, Miller's right to give credit to Jeremy Swayman. And again, spoiler alert, we'll get to the three stars here momentarily. Uh, Swayman was like, I didn't think through 40 minutes the Canucks did enough in the blue paint, around the blue paint. A lot of shots that looked pretty routine for Jeremy Swayman. And when you're dealing with an all-star goaltender, you got to make life tough on him. And so he did what he had to do. It kind of felt like the Canucks might go meekly into the night. So uh, Swayman was big in the Boston net. Uh, had to make a couple of stops along the way. Uh, but ultimately, the Canucks were able to crack them. And then uh, they got the two they needed to get overtime. And uh, they win it in OT. JT Miller again here talking about the fact that Look, the win is great. It ends the streak and everything else, but doing his best in sort of JT Miller fashion to downplay. We're trying to, we're playing up here on Rinkwide what this win means. Nah, JT's not buying. He was trying to downplay the fact that eh, middle of February, really, it is just another win. It, it feels good, but let's not make it more than it is. It's just a hockey game in February, but. Timing-wise, is a, uh, it feels good just for the way that's been going a little bit lately. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm buying what he's selling there. Uh, it's Boston, and even though these guys weren't around in 2011, it hits differently. Like, for this fan base, especially after getting shut out by the Bruins a couple of weeks ago. And so, uh, for JT Miller, yes, it is just another win. It's the 38th victory of the season for the Vancouver Canucks, and as we said, they're 20th on home ice, but... 
I think this one, there is a little added value to it uh, because of the opponent and because of the way uh, the victory was secured. Absolutely. And look, Jeremy Swayman getting his flowers from JT Miller. Yeah. I, I was I was laughing about it because he had the, the Swayman uh, snub from mm-hmm. the hug from Demko. We all knew about snub. that. But also don't forget that JT Miller picked Swayman in the breakaway challenge at the All-Star <laughs> game and said, oh, I think he's the only goalie I can score on or whatever it was he said. He said something about Swayman. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, I just thought that was going to be a really funny storyline to kind of follow with Jeremy Swayman getting the start tonight. But yeah, he was he was good in the Boston goal and it, it did take a lot to beat him tonight. Well, JT recognized, at least at the end there, that you know because of the way things have gone over the last week, that it was a, a much needed victory. And as we said, they, you know, now can they use it as a springboard and start to move it back in the right direction? Because that's one of the things that they have done so well this season is when there have been a couple of losses, you know, then they've turned it back up and, and gone on extended runs. Can they do that again here with Pittsburgh and the Los Angeles Kings? You know, then they go back out on the road next weekend, Anaheim. So maybe there is an opportunity, but they'll take them one at a time here over the final 22. Let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars. Again, our post-game audio brought to you by Mr. Lube, and we thank them for uh, their sponsorship and partnership here on Rink-wide Vancouver. The three stars selected in the building by Hockey Night in Canada, Miller, Besser, Swayman, and that's the way we're going. I just don't think that really there's any doubt about that. JT Miller in on all three goals, three helpers. Uh, including his 50th assist of the season. So JT Miller, as he's done all season, being one of the Canucks leaders. Elias Pettersson caught him, but JT Miller surges back in front in the team scoring derby. Uh, Brock Besser extends his lead in the goal scoring derby. Big night for JT Miller and a big night for Brock Besser on the finishing end of two of the three goals. So Besser gets second star, and we talked about Swayman. He was busy in that third period. Looked like uh, he might be able to guide this one across the finish line for the Boston Bruins, but wasn't to be. They get a single point. Uh, now they'll move on to Seattle for the end of their road trip on Monday. Uh, you know, it's funny because I joked earlier about Ilya Mikheyev sort of being the spark that uh, got the comeback going. He did have those two great chances six minutes into the third period. And then they were followed by Miller leaning into that slap shot, came off the bench, I think, and joined the rush and looked like he got everything. And that, to me, was one of Swayman's better saves. And it kept it at 2 nothing. And moments later was the Zaka chance that we talked about earlier. But, uh, you know, JT Miller was foiled there. But ultimately, he gets the last laugh. You know, it, it's interesting to note, too, that Besser scored to make it 2-1. to one, And then with about three minutes to go, he was set up in the slot and just whistled one wide on the short side. And so I wondered, like, was that their best opportunity to tie the hockey game? Ultimately, it wasn't because uh, Philip Hronik was able to get the equalizer. But uh, there were some chances there in that third period. Uh, Teddy Bluger was set up uh, at the side of the net by Connor Garland, and we know that Bluger's had some opportunities here this week and just not a lot of finish in his game. But they got the goals they needed. They win the hockey game by a score of 3-2, to two, and just about everybody's happy because I'm amazed. Like, for all the talk of the hatred of the Boston Bruins and the history and the rivalry and everything else, I guess maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm still surprised how many Boston Bruin jerseys were in the stands at Rogers Arena. I get the original six, and but you sort of forget that it isn't just completely one-sided in this city. There's a lot of support for the Canucks, but there was a lot of support for the Bruins as well. And it was kind of funny as I walked out of the out of the rink to make my way back here to the rink-wide studios. Uh, I was following two Boston guys, and it was nothing but F-bombs. Like, they were wearing the Bruins jerseys, and they were livid with the outcome 
uh, of their team squandering the 2-0 lead. So uh, sometimes it cuts both ways, I suppose. 3-2, the Canucks beat the Boston Bruins. Jeff and Dave with you here. Uh, We've got a stat that stands out. We'll get some listener feedback and a thought on what is to come here over the next week for the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Well, I was mentioning before the break, the the Boston Bruin fans, uh, as they left the building, just wanted to take a second as well. It's funny. I went down to meet a friend on the concourse before the game, and I took the stairwell down from the press box and was on the 100 level. And then as I made my way back up and just before game time, and there were a bunch of other people, and I was racing. I kind of had my head down, wanted to get back upstairs uh, in time for the puck drop. And I passed a guy in the stairwell, and all I heard was, love the pod! And... I didn't have time to stop and get his name. And I said, hey, thanks, man. And he was going down the stairs and I was going up. So that was my uh, interaction with uh, a rink-wide listener. And we appreciate all the support. So shout out to rink-wide listener in the stairwell. Wish I had a name. Reach out on social. Uh, Hopefully you hear this and tell friends to listen because the Canucks are headed to the playoffs. And uh, hopefully uh, our audience continues to grow as uh, casuals get more involved and invested in this hockey club. Going to get to some listener feedback beyond uh, Love the Podcast, uh, but we do like that kind of feedback. Uh, We'll get uh, some thoughts on this hockey game here coming up momentarily. But uh, we always do a stat that stands out. And look, we know the Canucks record when they lead after two. It's taken a little bit of a hit here of late. I mean, it's still ridiculous at 31-1-2. and This time they were down going to the third period. It's their third win of the season when trailing after two periods. Canucks are now 3-9-1. and one. So it shows you how tough it is to come back in the National Hockey League. Third period leads are generally safe, but uh, that wasn't the case for the Boston Bruins. And so the Vancouver Canucks get their third win when trailing after two. Do you remember the other two occasions where they've come back to win? I can remember one. It would be the one against the Islanders where Bo Horvat blew his coverage in overtime uh-huh. and Quinn Hughes came yes. down and won. That's one. And the other one, I do not know. Brock Besser, Hattrick. Elias Pettersson, overtime winner. Columbus, the game before the All-Star break. Ah, yes. Okay. No wonder I forgot that one. (laughs) (laughs) You blanked the Blue Jackets out of your mind? Yes, Uh, I don't blame you. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, Again, uh, just a a fun night at the rink, and there was some emotion, obviously. And, And I think a lot of that is because it's the Bruins, but beyond that, like, people want this team to have success. Like, I don't think Canuck fans were, despite what Thatcher Demko seemed to intimate the other night after the game where he felt that we probably loved writing about four straight losses, like that's just not the case. People want this team to win. They want this team to win in a bad way. And so uh, fans, the ones that weren't wearing Bruins jerseys at least, uh, they got what they were looking for. They had to wait, and they had to wait until overtime. So certainly uh, some drama there. But in the end, the Vancouver Canucks, pull out the victory against the Boston Bruins. And let's get to a little bit of listener feedback here as we go to our social channels at Rinkwide Van. Adam says the green men are back. Yes, so we talked about the green man a little bit earlier on, and we'll see if there's uh, more green men appearances as the season uh, moves along here. Uh, JF says what stood out most to me was where JT set up on the winner, the left half wall of the power play. Hopefully the coaches noticed again, four on three power plays are different than five on four, but it does make you wonder. I guess sort of low-key to me, one of the positives of this game was we didn't have to endure the Canucks with, you know, four or five power plays where 
Uh, they were just throwing stuff against the wall. I mean, that's where they're kind of at with this power play. We saw that in Seattle the other night. So they only had the one abbreviated power play. Uh, Van Riemsdyk with a high stick on uh, Nikita Zadorov in the first period that actually negated what was left of a Boston power play and then uh, the too many men on the ice penalty uh, in overtime. So the Canucks didn't get a lot of work on the power play. They do go one for two officially on the night. And let's be clear too, Dave. Like, it was great. Besser scored. They win. But their power play woes aren't cured just because they got one on a four-on-three in overtime. Like, there's still a lot of work to do with that man advantage. There is. There's still a lot of work to do. And like you said, the diamond is not what they saw in OT. It was a triangle. Triangles are JT Miller's favorite shape, it would Mm -hmm. seem. And he capitalized. There is still work to do. I feel like the one power play we saw, there wasn't enough there to pick it apart and say, but but they didn't score at the end of the day, right? Like that, that's what it comes down to. They didn't score and this power play needs to start converting. Uh, In the interest of listener feedback, Jeff, I just saw this on Twitter. Someone put a Brad Marchand card in the urinal at Rogers Arena, oh. and I'm just hoping that it was a rink-wide listener uh, that did that. That kind of crosses a line to me, I think, but hey, to each their own. I don't know who has to fish that out after the end of the night. David says, great game. Two players <laughs> under heat lately. Besser and Heronic got much-needed goals thanks to Miller's great night. Players were physical all night long, battled despite the goals against in the run of play, continued to press. Uh, Hassan says Canuck showed up, outplayed an elite team. Miller was a beast, his best game in a Canuck uniform. Yeah, we suggested that that was maybe the case. Uh, and, and this does hopefully put an end to this idea, too, of, you know, who have they beaten? And people have tried to poke holes in a lot of the Canucks victories. And yes, they haven't beaten Colorado yet. And no, they haven't beaten the Vegas Golden Knights. They got shut out by the Boston Bruins. But guess what? Uh, they get a win against the Bruins. That goes on their record. So uh, the people that wanted to use that argument... Kind of pokes a hole, I suppose, in in that one. Chris says that was a character win. They kept playing hard and kept pushing. Four losses in a row could have been easy to give up, but they dug down and played harder. And I think at the end of the day, and again, people don't want silver linings. Had they lost 2-1, to one, I, I still think that you could have looked at this like the game in Colorado, like the game against Winnipeg last week, where they did a lot of good things, but it's harder to accept that as losing streaks mount. So it was important that they put an end to the losing streak. They don't care about the single point that Boston, I mean, ultimately they're in this race for first overall, but uh, it's an Eastern Conference team. The Bruins can get their single point. It was the two points that mattered for the Vancouver Canucks and they get them. And Ernie says, so much for the four o'clock jinx. Again, another storyline coming into this, you know, oh, why do they do this for the Eastern teams? I tried to point out to people throughout the day, like, they're 15-2 and two or whatever they are against the Maple Leafs in that 4 o'clock time slot at Rogers Arena over the last 15 years. Like, it hasn't been an issue. Uh, if it's supposed to work in the Leafs' favor, it hasn't. Like, yeah, maybe it's easier for Leaf fans back home. But, I don't know. Like, maybe the Canucks ought to look at a few more afternoon games, <laughs> early starts. I didn't like the fact the media meal at Rogers Arena, and I know you weren't in the press box, the media meal had a Boston theme. Like it was like clam chowder and it was Boston baked beans. And there was some other, and I was like, come on, like I don't want to eat Boston food here before the game, but uh, ultimately the Canucks dine on the Bruins uh, three, two in overtime. Thanks to everybody for their feedback to our feedback channels at rink wide van on social. Uh, we'll get back to the inbox uh, on our next episode coming up after the game on Tuesday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Big night for J.T. Miller. We talked about that. Another big night for Quinn Hughes. They all are. 27 minutes and 41 seconds of ice time played. More than half of the third period, 10 minutes and 10 seconds of the third, and then 
out there for a minute and 34 seconds of overtime as well. So played uh, all 94 seconds of the overtime until uh, they won it. He got an assist, the second assist on the, the Besser overtime winner. So, you, you know, when they're down and trailing, you expect that you're going to see a lot of Quinn Hughes. And uh, uh, that was certainly the case in this hockey game. All right. Uh, we generally play this game here on Rinkwide as well. Canucks win. They snap the streak. Is Pittsburgh a Casey to Smith game on Tuesday Ooh. night? Jeff, I'm glad you asked. I need to uh, give me give me a second. I need to look at their complete <laughs> upcoming schedule because I've been, I've nailed this on Rinkwide the past. Well, Pittsburgh's an on conference game. A former Penguin, obviously. There's that tie. There's a bunch of former Penguins on this Canucks lineup. But we've talked about the fact that DeSmith has to get some games in here. That his play has fallen off, and I think part of that is. He just hasn't played very much. He played a lot more in the first half of the season and was a whole lot better. Has one win since Christmas, one win in six starts. Uh, was in there for the crazy game in Minnesota the other day. And so uh, it kind of feels to me like you got Los Angeles on Thursday. That's the bigger of the two games remaining on the homestand. Uh, then you go to Anaheim. Like You could make a case that DeSmith could get two of the next three for the Vancouver Canucks here. Uh, but we'll see how the week plays out. But my gut tells me that, yes, a former Penguin against his old team. And look, the Penguins have some firepower, but they've also struggled uh, on a lot of nights this season. They're kind of a tough team to figure out. But they've got Sid and they've got Gino and they've got other guys. They don't have Jake Gensel right now, but uh, they can generate some offense uh, still. I think you want to keep that Janemko fresh for the first look at Los Angeles Kings on Thursday. So uh, rink wide right here, right now, suggesting that Tuesday night will be a Casey DeSmith start against Pittsburgh. Agree. 100% yeah. agree. I had to okay. look at it. 100% agree. And I also look at the days of rest that Demko would get. Uh, if you go to him against Pittsburgh or if you went to um, you went to him against Pittsburgh and Smith against Los Angeles, it's going to be DeSmith on Tuesday. It has to be a Casey DeSmith start. I think DeSmith for start. me, the fascinating, uh, the more fascinating discussion would have been if the losing streak you got to five and then you've got Pittsburgh coming in here. Like, would there have been an urge to go with your big gun in goal until the sort of the streak was over? And this is the danger area for Thatcher Demko and his workload. Again, I don't think they've overworked him, but I think it's kind of on that fine line. And I know Rick Tocca was asked about it uh, prior to the game this morning, or this afternoon, rather, uh, and talked again. And he said this in the past, too. Like, they're monitoring it. They're aware that there has to be a balance here. And he talked about how they do have to get Casey DeSmith some starts. But Casey DeSmith has to earn some starts as well, and it's been a bit of a struggle for him certainly since Christmas. All right, fun night of hockey. Canucks pull one out. They win it by a score of 3-2 to two, and uh, now have a couple of days between games, so we'll see if they can start to use rest to their advantage here. Uh, we're not going to get a lot of looks at Sidney Crosby. I mean, he is certainly uh, winding down his career. He's not done, so it's always an event when Sid comes through, especially when you think that uh, 14 years ago, right around now, uh, Sid was doing his thing at Canada Hockey Place, and so kind of the timing uh, works out well to bring back a lot of those memories. We'll see if Sidney Crosby has a goal in him uh, on that ice surface on Tuesday, and we'll see what the Canucks do to follow up this win, a good win, an emotional win against the Boston Bruins, and we'll see if they can back it up with another one as they put the losing streak in the rearview mirror, and they beat the Boston Bruins by a score 3-2. to two. For David Quadrelli, this is Jeff Patterson. Thanks again for all of your support. Uh, we enjoy doing this, and we do it because uh, you, the listeners, have the demand for nonstop Canuck talk, and that's what we're all about here on Rink Wide Vancouver.